0: one of you uh, this evening good to be back at First Assembly in Heber Uh, around the first of the year we were here and just had an exciting awesome time and tonight's going to even be better amen because the king is here and he has incredible plans for this service your pastor did a great job describing dream nations and what the Lord's called us to and I thank you for your giving you're not giving just to a person you're giving to an international ministry. And so we appreciate that. We go overseas, we pay to go, we pay to minister. We have a four pronged approach. I'm gonna get this out of the way real quick because God has placed something deep in my spirit for tonight. So you punch your neighbor and tell him, get ready. Punch your other neighbor and tell him, wake up. <laughs> Dream Nations, we have a, a four pronged approach our four main objectives. It was three, and then the summer of last year, God opened up a fourth one, and that's exploded in just one year. The first is, of course, souls. It's through services like this. We travel, as your pastor said, here in the States, and then we spend part of our time overseas. I just got back recently from Zambia, and then... We did what I call home missions in California. We do about two or three of those trips each year. God is doing a powerful work out there and has opened up a great door for us. And so souls, whether it be services in, the, in, in our nation, whether it be small services in churches overseas, and also mass miracle crusades. In fact, we were in a country, the first African nation that the Lord really burdened my heart for and I was thinking about my wife being able to be with me, which isn't uh, very often because of the length of travel. She's a school teacher, and, and we have two boys still in school. Caleb, our middle son, wasn't able to be here tonight, but our eldest, Nathaniel, I can't remember his name. We call him Nate, but Nathaniel is 20. And then Benjamin on the other side of her, the boss, is nine. It's good to have those with me. But um, souls, and, I, and that first country was Malawi. And I remember as an 18-year-old young man laying on the floor, and all I could do is cry in the spirit. And um, the evangelist had said, When I place my hand upon you, there's going to come a cry out of your spirit. It will never leave you until you fulfill the destiny that God has placed in your life to reap a great harvest of souls. That cry has never left me. And it's it's completely scriptural. Romans 8, 26 tells us, and we know not how to pray. The Holy Spirit will pray through us with groanings or noises which words cannot match. And I happen to believe that if you're not using what I call the shofar of Jesus that's on the inside of every believer, then you need to dust it off and start using it. I'm already preaching, so come on because what happened Jesus was a male lamb or a ram and when he died on that cross his ram's horns were broken off and at resurrection they were multiplied millions times over so that every believer when we're born again the holy spirit injects into our spirit our belly where our spirit is a Spiritual shofar. He wants us to blow that. It's a call to arms. It's a call to battle. In Old Testament days, they would use it to make specific sounds for specific needs as they went to battle. Different believers make different sounds, different purposes, different needs. But perfectly, the Holy Spirit sends that sound to heaven and God the Father and God the Son knows exactly what is being said, what is being stated, and what is needed. And so God has sent me around this nation and even other parts of the world to remind the church that we not only have had the problem that many of us pastors have preached, and it's a good word with dusty Bibles, but we also have another problem, and that's dusty shofars. And if you've never experienced that kind of prayer, I have good news for you. Tonight's your night. I just declare that a spirit of prayer is going to come over this place and some of you are going to begin to groan and well in the spirit of God. And as you do, you break through the forces of hell and the powers of Satan that would block a revival. Spirit will come down. And I tell you tonight that not only a revived 216, 2016 happened, but when that's long gone, a spirit of revival and an ongoing revival will continue. Amen. And so, as I lay on that floor, it went from that cry, uh, just a, a sound, to crying out Malawi. I'd never seen the the country on the the map of the continent of Africa. And um, my wife was in that altar uh, call as well. And um, I was a little nervous because the first words out of the evangelist's mouth to her, because she got prayed for before I did. I was real uh, zealous, so I was in the front. And we were about three rows deep with young people. God was really moving our home church. And the evangelist said to her, first words, be careful who you marry. I'm like, oh, Jesus. But then he went on to say, the person you'll marry, you'll work in close bonds with uh, to do the Lord's work and build his kingdom. And I was like, yes, that's me. And so I told you all that to say that not long ago we had the opportunity for the very first time to touch down... And do ministry in the country of Malawi. We were able to um, hold a mass miracle crusade. They used tents there, and there was about four, two large tents and two smaller tents set up. And that evening, the first night, over 400 people answered the altar call for salvation. Look what the Lord has done, amen? I just, it was an incredible work. During that um, uh, outdoor crusade, they had planned for services all day. I was grateful that I had a couple of my um, African pastor friends to take a couple of the services during the day, and then I would just preach one, and, and then at night, we saw many baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, during that mass miracle crusade, and so we're privileged to travel overseas, do the Lord's work. Souls is at the forefront. Secondly, as needed items, we build churches. We've put on roofs for churches that need roofs. We, we, we've dug water wells. We're about to dig our second in Zambia along the Zambezi River, where all they have is to drink out of that dirty river that's full of hippos and crocodiles. There's large stats where people over a few month period out of particular villages, they go to gather water and they never come back. It's because the crocodiles are very, very fierce and they take their lives. And so it's our hearts go to provide as many villages there along the Zambezi River with good drinking water. And so... All kinds of projects, needed projects. We take necessity items, food, clothes, clothes, shoes, flip-flops. They love flip-flops. It's hot most of the time over there, so they love that. Uh, Dried fruit, uh, toothpaste, toothbrushes, things like that. And then the last one is church planting. I was talking to Dr. Brassfield about this since the summer of last year. We planted our first international church in the city of Pete Retief. Uh, South Africa toward the northern part and um, then that part of Dream Nations began to explode and now we planted uh, with the Lord's help he's planted four uh, international churches three of those in Zambia and one in South Africa and we're about to plant our fifth church in Paraguay, South America. We've just spent some time in California with our South American representatives and and uh, prepared for that, and they 're going back and beginning um, with a house church, and we 're going to be purchasing property, building a building, and watching Jesus just explode with revival in South america, so we 're excited about this, but as I talk about dream nations and this ministry i don 't just tell you that to let you know what you were giving to, if you stop by the table, grab our card. And you can read more about it. There's some sermons there. There's a, there's a uh, partner's card that you can get and receive our newsletter every month. But I also talk about those things because your pastor described what God has put in my heart to the T. There is a burning desire in my life for revival fire to spread around the globe. And I believe... That our nation is ripe and ready. As the darkness becomes darker, the light becomes brighter. And not everybody is on board, but I believe that God is gathering a remnant of people who will say, God, we do not want church as usual, we do not want church as normal. In fact, I believe what God is looking to do in churches like this one is to bring about a new normal, that your old normal would become abnormal, that what has been normal, and I know you have good services, and I'm not here just to preach a good message. In fact, let me scare you for a moment and just say, I don't have a sermon for tonight but I do have a word. And even, I'll say this deeper than that, I have a declaration for this service and what this service is to be. As I was praying about this service tonight, God said, Ronnie, this service is to be a night in which the Holy Spirit moves in a powerful manner. This service is to be a Holy Spirit rally. So I'm going to tell you what God says this service is. He says this service is a Holy Spirit rally. So I'm not going to preach a sermon. You had a great message this morning. No doubt. You hear great messages all the time. You have an incredible pastor, incredible preacher. But tonight, we're going to have a Holy Spirit rally. You say, what does God mean by that? Some of you would begin to form, you know, something in your head, a picture in your mind of what a Holy Spirit rally may look like. But let me just begin to break it down for you. I hear from heaven that there is a rally cry that is coming from the heart of the Father. And that rally cry, God is rallying the heavens. And from his heart, there is coming a cry. And God is saying, I long to send a great outpouring of my spirit upon my people that would rock their world that would change their existence, yes. that would change their lifestyle, yes. that would change the way they think, the way they view life, the way they view church, the way they view, view their Christian walk and Christianity, and they're following me. I long to stir and move in the heart of a remnant of my people who would receive the deeper things of my presence, that would receive such an outpouring of my spirit that they would begin to believe that I can do through them what I have said in my word, that they will lay hands on the sick and the sick will be healed. They will cast out devils in my name. They will go forth and reap harvest they will go forth and be used in the gifts of the Spirit. And by the way, the Bible doesn't limit being used of God to those nine gifts of the Spirit as listed in First Corinthians 12. If you read on, he mentions diversities of ministries and diversities of activities. You can't put God in a box in the way in which he wants to use his church. But I would tell you tonight, for the way that God wants to use you and I, we must send a rally cry back from our heart to meet the rally cry that is coming from God's heart so that when the rally cry that is coming from God's heart, I want to send my spirit in a way in which my people have yet to receive. Those of you that have been in Pentecost for 100 years or those of you that just recently got saved and you're still trying to figure out what those tongue-talking people are doing. And anywhere in between, I tell you there's more. <laughs> I tell you, You haven't seen it all, you haven't experienced it all, and you haven't received it all. I believe in tarrying before the Lord, but tonight is not a tarrying meeting. Tonight is a receiving meeting. For 10 days, they tarried in the upper room. But on that day of Pentecost, as Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 tells us, the tearing was over, and the receiving on the day of Pentecost started, and the Spirit of God began to fall on them as flames of fire settled upon each of their heads, and they began to speak in languages that they had never learned. I say that we need the fire once again to settle upon our head, the fire to purify to burn out, burn off the dross. I'm not talking about, for the most part, you may be here and living in unconfessed sin. I wouldn't be much of a missionary evangelist if I didn't tell you that without Jesus and forgiveness of sin, you will not spend eternity in heaven unless something changes. And that something is your heart. And if something doesn't change and you die in that condition, you will spend eternity in hell. That's not popular preaching, but it's the word. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. Why do you think that is? I think it is because he loves us, (laughs) because he loves you. And so if you're here tonight as a product who's running and you need to come home, this is your night. If you're here and you're living in unconfessed sin, this is your night to come home. But probably on this Sunday evening, for the most part, I'm speaking to believers. And God wants you to understand that there is a cry that is coming from his heart. It's not just another meeting. It's not just another series of services and it's not just a night of being brushed by with God's presence, but God wants to completely wreck you. He wants to completely mess you up. He wants to make you a holy mess. When you become a holy mess, you become a powerful message. God wants to wreck your world. Saul was a mess, but Paul was a holy mess. Saul was mixed up and thought he was helping God. Instead, he was messing up things. But Jesus, you know the story, got his attention and as Ananias laid hands on him and most of us that know that story where Saul became Paul, we know that Ananias didn't want to go. God, this can't be you. This has to be the devil. Don't you know that this man has been sent to arrest us Christians and put us in jail? I can't go. And I love the Lord's response. His first word. Go. He didn't argue with him. He didn't tell him why. Go. Lay hands on him. He's waiting for you. And as Ananias lays hands on him, the scales fall from his eyes. And the Bible says he's filled with the Holy Spirit at that moment. God wrecked Saul. And understand that at that moment, unbeliever to believer but it fits here for us as believers because Saul thought he, he had a good heart. He thought he was doing the right thing. Can I tell you that much of the church in America, we think we're doing the right things and many of them are a right thing, And some of them are good things, but not necessarily a God thing. But God wants to show us his thing. He wants to show us what he's up to. He wants to show us what his heart is burning about. He wants to show us what he's longing to do in this hour. And I would dare say that we must receive. We must maximize this moment. A moment with him. You can never minimize a moment with Jesus. You can never minimize a moment in the presence of the Lord. Where he shakes you. Where he wrecks you with his presence and you get up and you become a holy mess for Jesus. I mean, we're talking about a guy who wrote more books of the Bible than any other man. We're talking about a guy who planted a church in every place of the known world at that time. Paul became this holy mess who was completely wrecked by Jesus. And I say, that the same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit is with us and he's here tonight to wreck us in that kind of way. Are you listening to what I'm saying? He wrecked Paul in such a way that as he was having to to make tents, to to make a living, that they would come by and just take a handkerchief and wipe off his holy sweat. (laughs) See, some of you thought, Sweat was just always just something nasty. I mean, they were taking handkerchiefs and just catching that sweat and then laying them on sick people and they were instantly recovering. Right. You're talking about a holy mess. Right. <laughs> That's a holy mess. Yes. <laughs> Even your sweat is healing people. <laughs> Paul became this holy mess. But I know what some of you are thinking. Well, that's Paul. I could never attain to that. I could never aspire to that. No, God hasn't called you to be Paul. He's called you to be you. But in calling you to be you, in being you... He's called you like the rest of us to become a holy mess for him. That every day you get up, you mess things up for the devil. Because when your life is wrecked for Jesus, you begin to mess up the opposite side, the other side. And that other side we know to be Satan, the devil, who is trying to kill America, is trying to kill the spirit in America, who is trying to kill our democracy. But I say that there is a remnant who is rising, who is hearing the cry of the Father, who is crying from heaven. And they will send back in response to God a cry from their heart that says, God, we hear that you're crying out to us. Now I will cry out to you and say, Father, if you're longing to pour out your spirit in a fresh and a new, in a powerful manner, in a greater way, then I cry out to you and say, Here I am, God. Let it rain on me let the fire settle on my life again mess me up turn me in to a holy mess hallelujah people start running into you and and spending a little time with you and they're like who are you and you know we used to talk about that when you know, an unbeliever would get saved and become a Christian, and people not recognize them. I'm saying God is speaking to the church tonight, and He wants to do the same thing for Christians. But I'm already saved, and I'm, you know, I I, I teach a class, and I do. This. It's not about that. He wants to so wreck our lives that our minds begin to focus on the kingdom more than the kingdoms of this world. The only thing that will last is his kingdom, not our kingdoms, not the kingdoms of this world, but only the kingdom of our God. And as God, as your cry, the cry from your heart meets with the cry of God's heart, listen to this, there's a spiritual explosion that takes place. That spiritual, spiritual explosion cannot be explained with human vocabulary. What happens at that moment of explosion cannot be explained by words. It is and will be a supernatural moment between you and God where he will wreck your life. Now, listen to this. As I put my hands together, representing the cry of God's heart, meeting the cry of our heart, a spiritual explosion. Don't minimize the moment with God. and maximize the process with God. Don't minimize the moment with God. Your leadership, your pastors, have declared these next few days as revived 2016, the time of God reviving you personally and you as a church body. This is not by accident, but it's by divine appointment. Your pastor praying, seeking God, and then inviting me to come tonight is not an accident, but it's by divine appointment. And in this divine moment, in this divine appointment, don't minimize this moment that God has set up for you tonight. Some of you, well, I forgot my watch tonight. I have good excuse. I just looked across the room and there's no clock either. So, all right. Seriously, I forgot my lunch. Some of you will be tempted to do maybe your norm. Kind of sit back, watch others get in the altar and then just kind of slip out. If you do, you're going to miss your moment. And I'm here to tell you that it is a prophetic moment that you will be missing a powerful prophetic moment in which the Holy Spirit wants to wreck you wants to mess you up that you fall so madly in love with Jesus again that the first thing on your mind and the thing that remains at the forefront of your mind is the kingdom of God and the king of the kingdom you begin to live, eat, and breathe Jesus. <laughs> so much so that, you know, you, you decide three hours of, of TV is just a little too much. <laughs> I think I can cut out one and, and find a prayer closet with him. Oh, there's that process. Mm-hmm. So moment. What is that moment? God set this up as a divine appointment. That moment is tonight. And it's real hard. It's real deep theology right here. When I finish this message, instead of going that direction, you simply get up out of your seat and send your cry to meet his cry. And so whatever your norm is, if your norm is usually, you know, it's not my personality. I can receive at my seat. And I understand we're made up of different personalities and I understand God does things at seats. In fact, I think the last time I was here in one of the services, we had prayer for the sick right in the seats. In fact, I, I do remember that on Sunday morning. There were several, quite a large number that were healed we do that from time to time when God says to. So I know God does things at seeds, But that's not what he said about tonight. He said this is to be a Holy Spirit rally. And what he wants you to do is to respond to his word. Put forth your best effort. Which without grace would never be good enough. But he has covered us in amazing grace. And as you get out of your seat and you come forward, not because this preacher is here, not because we would lay our hand on you. It's the fact that he's here and he will lay his hand on you and he is going to wreck your life. He's going to move in your life. There's going to to come a spiritual explosion in this moment that's going to help you maximize the process with God. Which is as you begin to eat, live, eat, and breathe the kingdom, prayer becomes a part of your daily life. Of course, the word, we talked about that earlier. The way you pray begins to change. You start, and I don't know all the things that you do do here at Hebrew first, but you start things like this, maybe. Bugging the pastor. How early is the, the church going to be open before service? We, I want to pray. And by the way, don't tell anybody my, my name, but just would you mind announcing that anybody who wants to come, the door will be open at this time and we'll be meeting in ru- room such and such before service praying. <laughs> oh, there went all my amens. I just lost it all. You know, you get practical and then you just lose people. (laughs) What God wants us to do is to make sure we do not minimize this moment, but we seize it. And as we seize the moment, it changes the way we do process life. It changes the way we do process our life with God. And because... Because we're completely wrecked with Jesus and for Jesus we live as a message of the king and his kingdom on a daily basis as individuals there, there's places of prayer because we can't help but not have this want to to be with our king and to hear what he has to say about his kingdom. Come on, somebody help me here. Look, I'm not preaching legalism like, you know, let me, let God's got a hammer. He's going to beat you over there. If you didn't pray today, you're going to hell. <clears throat> no, 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 no. It's not about, oh, I got to make myself. I got to make myself. I gotta... No, it's, it, this is what I'm saying. Get this. Get Minim- this. Maximize the moment and let God in the moment wreck you, mess you up, change you. And then you begin to do process life differently. So here it is from, you know, I need to pray, it's getting late. Uh, If I don't get in there pretty quick, it's going to, I can't wait to get alone. it's it's like uh, you know it's like break at work break time now I'm going to slip off because I'm hungry to be with him there's something your wants begin to change your desires begin to change they become his wants, his desires and wherever you're Wherever you are in that, he wants to take you deeper. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying tonight. Oh, everybody at Hebrew Springs doesn't pray. First Assembly doesn't pray or doesn't, you know, love the king of the kingdom and love to do the work of the king. I know different than that. I'm talking about a deeper level. I'm talking about being wrecked for his glory. In 1906... An incredible revival broke out. It lasted for ten years. It's quite interesting why why it even ended. You know why it ended? Christians arguing. Go figure. I know you at Hebrew first are all too spiritual for that, but I've pastored churches that were not too spiritual for that. And so As this revival broke out, God was using a one-eyed black man by the name of William Seymour who had to sit outside. They gave him a chair, but they put him outside the room of an all-white class. They were kind enough to leave the door open so that he could hear uh, the lesson on the Holy Spirit and on the Holy Spirit after one had been saved having the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come upon and to release prayer language and the person to receive prayer language. So William Seymour listened to this class and he became very hungry. He got an invitation to go to Los Angeles, California and hold a revival. And so he started the revival on Sunday morning and even though he had yet to receive this Holy Spirit coming upon, he was saved. And when you're at salvation, the Holy Spirit comes in, but he had yet to receive the Holy Spirit coming upon. And so therefore, even though he had yet to receive it, he went to this church and he preached about it. When he got back that evening to preach, because it was supposed to be a whole revival, there was a sign on the door that read something like, Revival Cancelled. How many things they didn't like his message? (laughs) Something, something in his message bothered somebody. (laughs) So there was a family that took him in on Bonnie Bray Street, Los Angeles, California. And there in that little house, he would have Bible studies, meetings, and he would teach them what he had learned about the Holy Spirit, about the coming upon of the Holy Spirit. What I talked to you about earlier, prayer groanings and prayer language. And one night, as history tells us, the Holy Spirit fell on that house, that little house on Bonnie Bray Street and William Seymour. The Holy Spirit came upon him and he began to speak in languages he had never learned. Others in the room began to receive the same thing. The house became too crowded and so they went out into the yard and soon the yard was too full and they realized they were going to have to rent a building and so they rented a small, run-down building on Azusa Street in Los Angeles, California. Hence, the Azusa Street Revival. Many who wrote about that revival, often their writings when they would go to visit it because even though they didn't have the modern technology that we have to spread word, somehow God got the word around that people were coming from all over this country and even other countries of the world to Azusa Street. Incredible. To think there was no Facebook and yet God could still do it. My middle son tells me Facebook is now, for us older people, they moved on to, I don't even know all the stuff, but anyway. uh, And so as they would write historical writings, it would often start out like this. I was taken back when I walked into the room where this revival was, was told about. Because the only thing that was happening was a prayer meeting. Everybody was just praying. And there were people making sounds, weird noises. Romans 8, 26. And there were people praying in languages that I didn't understand. But as I walked on into the room, the Holy Spirit so overwhelmed me that I found myself on the floor like they were, face down, Weeping and crying, as the Holy Spirit came over me, and I began to make noises like they were making. Account after an account after an account, it would read that way, and then they would write about how this one-eyed black man would get up with a paper sack over his head, just a place for his eyes were cut out and a place for his mouth, that he would preach when asked. Why William Seymour, when asked why he would do that, he said, I don't want anyone to see me in this revival. I want them to only see Jesus. And then they they would write about, there seemed to be no certain order to this revival, and yet it was perfectly in order. At different times, someone else would get up and preach, and someone would get up and sing, and then it would go back to just a prayer meeting. Every Pentecostal movement known today was born out of that one revival. Every one of them was born out of that one revival. William Seymour, remember it was a 10-year revival, 1906 to 1916. William Seymour prophesied at the end of that revival And he said, 100 years later, America will receive a greater revival than what we just had here on Azusa Street. Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I can put 100 to 1916 and realize that that's 2016. So I thank God for Azusa then, but I say it's time for Azusa now. (laughs) thank God for Azusa then but I say Azusa now it's been spoken, it's been prophesied and so we want to act on the prophecy and declare God you prophesied it you said it, in fact in your word you said in the last days you would pour your spirit out on all flesh we're living in those days we pray down your prophetic word and we send our cry up to you and we hear you crying back to us and so our cry is going to meet your cry, and we, with our faith, expect this spiritual explosion, wreck us for your glory, and sin an azusa now, hallelujah And wow. watch this I'm going to hurry. Some of you probably already know this, but in Los Angeles, California, same place, there was a mass stadium meeting in the Los Angeles Coliseum. Over 100,000 were registered for this event, but it was raining and it was very cold and just, they said approximately just 70,000 showed up. Now, right before the, the Coliseum meeting, which was called Azusa Now, Right before the meeting, 20,000 South Koreans came to America and to Los Angeles to pray for us. They said, when we needed God, you came, you sent missionaries, and you prayed for us. Anybody who knows anything about what God has done in Seoul, Korea, knows that the world's largest church, Dr. Cho... God used him to raise up over a million people and the, the release of Prayer Mountain where they tell me that 24 hours a day, you can go at any time of the day and there will not be hundreds, but there will be thousands praying on that mountain any time of the day, all day long, every day. Amen. So that's, I'm talking about that's some, Messed up, wrecked people for Jesus. And so 20,000 of them wrecked, messed up, kingdom-minded people left the comfort of their homes in South Korea, came to America and prayed for us. Most of them went back home before the meeting. They went home. They told me about 90% of them went home. They didn't stay for the meeting. They came to pray for us. I wasn't able to attend, but I I was able to watch some on on the internet live feed. And what I found very different than a lot of Colosseum, large meetings like this, they would always do a good job with salvation and that is the most important miracle and that is the most important thing to be accomplished. But seldom would you see them go farther than the message of salvation. But at this meeting were 70,000 gathered and they had their ponchos on and they had, pay, they had like trash bags on trying to protect themselves from the, the, the rain that was falling. And About 70,000 people, you could see them. They stood. It was a 15-hour gathering. Many of them stood for hours upon hours. And I watched as... Not only the good work of the message of the gospel for salvation went forth, but I watched as prophetic words went forth, healings and miracles went forth, the message of the coming upon of the Holy Spirit went forth, the message of prayer in unknown tongues and prayer groanings went forth, and and I watched as Pentecost was put on the front burner. And this is what God put in my spirit. He said, Ronnie, what was released in the L.A. Coliseum was not just for the people there. It was for the nation and for the nations of the world. It was the prophetic moment and not just the people that were there could receive, but everywhere you go and everywhere where there'll be a remnant that will heed to my call. I am pouring out my spirit and I am declaring Azusa now, and it will be greater than Azusa then. And so he's saying what happened. It was back in April. What happened at Azusa then, at Azusa now conference was not just a conference, but it was a prophetic moment, a a prophetic releasing of revival in the point of his spirit for our nation right now are you ready the time is now and what we can't afford to do is to keep our mouths closed I just looked at the time on my phone so I'm going to hurry because I want to get you in these altars most of you know the story of Esther I'm just going to read one verse because the thing that God burned in my spirit about this is the mouth is such a powerful instrument. Of course, we know what's inside the mouth, the tongue, and we know the writing, Scripture, it being the most unruly member. And I I know most of you are too holy to have any trouble with the tongue, but I battle with that sometimes. But on the other side of the coin, the mouth is such a powerful tool for God to use, the tongue, the mouth. And what I share with you tonight, I share it as a mandate and as a commitment to God, where I have told him, I will not keep my mouth closed. I will not hush up about what you're saying. Esther, Jewish girl, picked out of so many women to be the queen of a pagan king. You can write this down as your homework. Go home and read Esther. That's your homework. She was chosen to be queen. And the wicked Haman tricked the, the king into signing a decree that on a certain day everyone in, the, in his kingdom was to turn on the jews to slaughter them genocide isn't it funny how I don't, that's the wrong word isn't it something how throughout history people have attempted genocide on the jews God's chosen people. We pray for Israel. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Amen. So Haman signed this decree and Esther, older cousin Mordecai, who had adopted her because her mother and father had been killed, sent word to her to tell her about this decree and how she needed to go before the king. But she said, You don't understand, Mordecai. I haven't been called to come before the king for some time. And if anyone goes before the king without him holding out the scepter of favor, their head can be cut off immediately. So I can't do this. A lot of churches, a lot of church people, a lot of, leaders in the church who are saying what I'm preaching they can't do because they might lose something. They might lose and so though they state in their belief system that they believe in the Holy Spirit and His touch, His moving, His coming upon, His empowering people. He's put in a back room somewhere. And if you want to get in on some of that, you know, it's back in a back room somewhere. Esther said, I can't do it. Mordecai sent word back. Look at this. And by the way, I say we need to let the Holy Spirit right out front, center aisle, center row. That button, that was real weak. Will you hit it real quick? (laughs) Let me read it real quick. Esther 4.14, New Living Translation says, If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. The Amplified Bible reads this way. For if you keep silent this time, relief and deliverance shall rise for the the Jews from elsewhere. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows but that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this and for this occasion. It is for this very time, Esther, and for this occasion, what we are facing, our people are facing, that you've been put in the palace. She sends back word because that word got to her. I pray to God tonight that the word would get to you. What do you mean? Instead of going that way, you come this way when the altar call is given. Instead of, you know, coming like, you know, hurry up, pray for me let me get, let me get to what I need to get done, what I need to. You know what I'm saying? God's looking for some people who would respond to his heart's cry with their heart's cry. There's a far difference than just, okay, I'll go. I'll satisfy that, that crazy evangelist. I'll go. No, no, it's more like, I can't wait to get up there and, and maybe, yeah, yeah, you have a different personality. So maybe, you know, me, I'm like, God. Maybe your personality's like, you know, God, God, I need you. I want what you're doing. That's okay. Who cares the way you do it? Just let it be from your heart. So Esther sends back word to Mordecai. She says, Fast and pray three days. Me and my handmaidens, we're going to fast for three days and I'm going before the king. And you know the story. She goes before the king. He holds out the scepter of favor. They, she asked for a, 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 a supper, a dinner with her and, and the king and Haman. And she has a number of those dinners. And finally the king's like, okay, we've been doing this, Esther. What is it that you really want? And then she explains to him that, that a decree... That he had been, he had signed, she had been tricked into signing that she was a Jew and all of her people were going to be wiped out. The king responds Who is this wicked man? Who would do such a thing? Now, open your mouth, use your mouth. You are the Esther's of this hour. She looked over at, at Haman, there's the man. I say we must open our mouths first to God with a heartfelt cry, King, we already know you're holding out the scepter of favor. Right. We know we're going to lose some stuff, but as we maximize the moment, we're going to want to lose that stuff sure. because we're going to want some different things. What we want is going to change so We come to you. We cry back to you with your scepter of favor. We're all your favorites. You love us. Explosion. We refuse now that we're just so changed and we're maximizing on the process and doing life with God that we point our finger at the devil who Haman represents And we point our finger at the dark spirits of this age, the spirit of Antichrist. We point our finger at the spirits that run through the church as a whole, rampant. The spirits of Jezebel to control. The spirits of Absalom to betray. The spirits of Leviathan that pridefully run with arrogance and pride throughout the church. We point our finger at them and say, you're the one, you're the one that is stifling the spirit in our nation. And as we use the mouth, as we, better yet, allow the spirit of God to use our mouth, the gallows that Haman had made for Mordecai, this thing, I'm fixing to cut that dude's head off. That's what Haman was thinking. I'm just having a good time at these banquets just for four people, or three people, the king, the queen, and me. So the king finds out about the gallows that he had created, and he hung Haman on the gallow that he had created for Mordecai. I'm telling you, it's time to cut some devil's heads off. <laughs> and all that God needs is for our, our permission for our personal life. And then collective bodies, he wants your permission. You say, yeah, I'm talking about free will, the gift of. And by the way, when it comes to the body, it's not, every, it's not talking about every person and every member. He's talking about a remnant who will come together. And with your free will permission, you exercise your faith. And he sees that you, with your free will, are giving him permission because from your heart is coming a cry in response. To the cry of his heart and he explodes in your life and like was said of the apostles who were hiding in Jason's house and they looked to find looked to find them, couldn't find them they drugged Jason and a few others the Jewish people, many of the Greeks, the leading women of that area in Thess- Thessalonica had been born again. They drugged them out. And this is what they said about them. These are those who have turned the world upside down and they've come here too. <laughs> Would to God that it would be said of us. These are those. Heber Springs, Arkansas. That have turned the world upside down. And they've come to Heber Springs also. They've come to Arkansas. They've come to this nation. This place as well. We turn the world upside down. We change the culture when He first changes us. And that change doesn't come from the White House, it starts from the church house. God is ready. He says, tonight's a Holy Spirit rally. Who will rally with me? As if it were him talking, he's asking, who will rally with me? Will you rally yourself together? Will you rally yourself and say, no, no, it's not just about all emotional hype, but we are emotional creatures, right? Body, soul, spirit, soul, mind, will, emotions. So I don't think he meant for us never to... Feel Him. It's just that when I don't feel Him, I should all continue to walk in faith. Stand with me. Come on. As you stand with your heads bowed, eyes closed.